Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the AgU Pitch. We are entering another new week, and uh, we've got Chris Barron and Dwayne Lowry. What's cooking, Dwayne? Not much, Chris. Um, looking forward to uh, the week. We're going to find some answers from USDA, and, and uh, other than that, enjoying Mother's Day. That's good. That's great. Hey, uh, <laughs> that that report uh from from what it sounds like could be pretty ugly what uh what do you say what what do you what do you see in coming on that report well it's going to be the first uh, uh WASDE report that we really get the get a good look and and see just exactly what ugly looks like um the uh trade expects that old crop carry out levels in both corn and beans will uh increase um some uh, focus is going to be on that. Uh, it's also the first um, S&D we're going to have on the 2021, the new crop outlook, and that's the one that uh, keeps getting larger and larger uh, carryout numbers, uh, especially corn. In, in terms of fundamental focus, I think it's mostly on corn. Um, the average trade guess for corn carryout for the new crop is 3.4 billion bushels of corn, and you have private conversations and estimates that range up to $4 billion. It's like the, 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 the first one to make a projection is certainly not going to have the highest projection type of thing. And that's been going on for several weeks and basically ever since the 9th of March when the uh, crude oil took a nosedive and the price war and, and uh, then further added to the, the coronavirus problems and, and from there on the ethanol outcome and uh, it's been a race to the bottom since. Um, so the carryout levels will be watched closely. Uh, the bean carryout for new crop is projected at uh, 452 is in terms of the average trade guess. That compares to the old crop, which is estimated at 501, which is up from 480 estimated by USDA in April. The reason bean carryouts being elevated is because of uh, a slow pace of uh, exports as perceived by traders, um, USDA um, might be a little slow to ad address that, but uh, that's what's expected. The old crop corn carryout is projected at 2.225 billion bushels for an average trade guess. That's up about 130 million bushels from the month of April, um, but the main focus is going to be on, on the new crop carryout levels. Um, there won't be uh, um, anything else, I think, in the in the reports on Tuesday that will be as closely followed as as the new crop ex, uh, ending stocks estimate, and they look like they're going to be negative. That's what's expected. Um, it's hard pressed to picture the scenario where this report isn't uh, negative, doesn't have large numbers. Um, I think what we can hope for is that maybe this will be the culmination of the fundamental assessment for the situations that we've been dealing with and the developments over the last 60 days with the economy being shut down, um, the ethanol industry being, you know, significantly throttled back. Um, so hopefully this will be kind of the culmination of it, maybe the official assessment of it, and maybe that'll get the worst of it in. But in terms of a market reaction, uh, contract lows in July corn is about a dime below Friday's levels. I think we have to anticipate that level. Those lows could easily go out this week. I think the, in the case of beans, 
from Friday's levels, contract lows are about 32 cents below where we settled Friday. I doubt if those contract lows will go out in beans, uh, but they could certainly um, see values weaken, you know, 20 or 25 cents this week from these reports. Um, the one thing I would point out about the bean carryout is uh, don't let that get swept up in the corn situation because it is completely different from the standpoint um, people are expecting, you know, like 2.2 billion bushels of carryout left over for this year, which is certainly large enough, and then a rising carryout to 3.4 or higher for next year, where bean carryout this year is pegged at around 500 million, and next year it's pegged at around 450 million, and that would be using the March uh, acreage numbers, and who knows how they may have changed from before, but uh, I think we have to brace for Tuesday's reports to to be uh, seen as uh, uh, negative or depressing. Uh, possible exception of that might be in wheat. Maybe there'd be something a little bit more encouraging in wheat, but otherwise it looks like we're going to be under pressure going into, into Tuesday's reports. And you're pretty pretty comfortable that we shouldn't break through those those levels on the downside that should give us some support. I think we have to assume that it's very possible, and um, in, in, in the in the corn that we're probably going to poke, poke those levels out. I'm not. I doubt if we're going to make new contract lows in the uh, beans, but I think we certainly can in the corn. But having said that, um, there won't be anything issued in Tuesday's reports that hasn't been widely talked about and anticipated in the trade for several weeks or more. So. Um, there is a possibility that um, even if we go down to those levels, since it's already been largely expected, it, it, there may be a difficult time generating a lot of follow-through follow after having done that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you wonder about the, all these algorithms and stuff that are written in. It's a lot of the stuff, as you said in previous podcasts, stuff's already built in. You wonder if maybe it doesn't even move it that much if it's already expected. Well, um, it's it's possible if you mean doesn't move it that much, meaning after we get a knee-jerk reaction on Tuesday at 11 right. o'clock from, you know, say you break corn five or seven cents and then you spend the next three days and you can't go anywhere. That part I, is possible. But, right. um, you know, it's not going to be a good week to feel very good about markets, I would imagine, mm -hmm. thanks yeah. to the USDA report. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk demand for a bit. Um, you know, obviously ethanol has been um, been sort of crushed, um, so to speak, and demand is a question. And uh, um, let's talk about that part of it first, and then we'll get to China. But um, talk to that. You know, what are you hearing there? Any anything else? Any other news or anything you're hearing there? Um, I'll get to domestic. ethanol and yeah, I'll get to ethanol in just a second. Um, the one thing I would say about corn demand is if you talk to people in the export circles, and this has probably been going on for several weeks, they've been kind of optimistic about U.S. corn export potential um, based on what they're, they had been seeing, and I think that kind of continues. There is a certain level of optimism in the export arena that U.S. corn exports have a window here where they might be able to capitalize on some global demand. Um, so I think that is the first backdrop that I would lay out there. The second thing I would say about demand is, 
it's interesting that um, just this last week, um, I was finding ethanol plants that uh, were not the most competitive bid to suddenly decide that they wanted to be competitive. And it wasn't just for a, a you know, this weekend, this week type shipment. It was for entire May. Um, I am aware of elevators, uh, ethanol plants in Illinois that paid a premium to get bushels for uh, uh, old crop supply. I'm aware of uh, uh, ethanol plants in the state of Iowa that did the same as recently as, you know, late this last week. Um, so I'm not sure exactly what they're looking at, but they seem to have a, a stronger appetite and a more confident uh, uh, aura among themselves that, that, that maybe that picture is improving a little bit. Um, ethanol production has been cut back significantly, very, very significantly, over the last several weeks. And uh, we are seeing the economy open up state by state, you know, sector by sector, and people are uh, either developing frustration with the uh, shelter-in-place type orders, they're anxious to get back to work, or you can, or people are just kind of navigating out more on their own. And uh, whatever it is, that trajectory of, of uh, uh, fuel demand is improving, and you can see it in energy prices, how they've performed as well. And I would add that there's a backdrop in the uh, financial sector, uh, whether we talk to uh, analysts from the, that arena, and these are big-name <clears throat> analysts that can be quoted in, in, uh, in publications. You can find it in CEOs uh, in that type of a crowd being quoted in publications. There's a lot of conversations that people are high-profile people project, you know, $60, $80, crude oil in, in the next 12 or 18 months. And uh, so, obviously, uh, ethanol got to the state that it's in now because the crude oil price got destroyed. Well, the U.S. rig counts, um, I saw it was the lowest rig counts uh, that we've had in the U.S. since 1940. I found it hard to believe, but that's, that's the headline. Um, so, obviously, price profitability um, is doing its work, and we're sharply curtailing crude oil production in the U.S., and if it's happening here due to monetary reasons, profitability reasons, it's happening other places as well. Um, so, there is a possibility that after we work through the supply that's in storage, there could be a point where all of a sudden the... Uh, the uh, consumption is outpacing the, the uh, supply. And uh, so maybe as bad as the ethanol thing has been and, and the way it feels right now, maybe this will end up being uh, lasting a shorter duration than what was feared. Because I think there, when you have conversations with people, you talk about the corn market, you talk about ethanol, there's just this cloud of concern that this is going to linger far into the new year as well, and, and when, when's the rebound even going to come? And uh, it's possible that is being overfeared, and it's possible that um, this is going to get um, better by the time new crop arrives. And I don't know how the ethanol industry would respond, but if I owned an ethanol plant and I was out of production right now, I probably would target opening back up when I was able to buy corn at a wide basis level. So that uh, I would imagine they assume that they're going to get a chance to do that sometime in July or August was as old crop inventory has moved into the, into the pipeline. 
and there's an expectation that new crop basis certainly could be wide because of the supply expectations. So I think there's a very good chance that the ethanol industry is, is back um, being much more competitive in, in with their bids um, as soon as basis levels become very wide. And uh, the assumption now is that, you know, if it doesn't happen before, it will have happened by the time we get to the July or August period. So maybe the ethanol demand picture uh, looks a little bit brighter. I think people should be encouraged by some of the local ethanol bids that they're finding what they're, what they're paying for corn. This is not happening everywhere, but it is happening in places. So I wonder if the ethanol industry isn't in the process of turning its corner and haven't, may have already experienced the worst of that situation. Hopefully, um, let's let's uh, um, try and decide which way we want to go here. Um, you brought up basis. Um, finish your conversation on basis. You know, we had we talked last week a little bit. Um, Steve Johnson uh, had a little had some comments on a on a podcast we did over the weekend that kind of echoed a lot of your sentiment on on basis. Um, come back to basis for a minute, and then we'll get to the China. Uh, portion of the conversation, but um, what's your thought on basis? What are some of the things that, that growers need to be watching as this ethanol thing starts to improve and as potentially we grow a better crop and if at some point we start to see uh, strength in the, in the uh, grain prices here, what that might do to basis? Well, I think the first thing the farmer needs to look at is uh, uh, the fact that Old crop corn carryout at one time was projected at like 1.8 billion, and with plenty of ideas that it might be less than that. Right now, uh, the trade estimates going into Tuesday's carryout is for 2.2 billion bushels of carryout. Add into that the fact that um, everybody was blindsided by uh, the closing of the uh, global economy blindsided by the price of oil, which oil futures traded into negative territory by $40 of all things, um, blindsided by the fact that the ethanol production had been cut back almost nearly in half, um, and all the devastating components of that as a result of that. And uh, so we have left with this larger carryout, but we also, were all, since we were all caught off guard, I think we producers have found themselves with, with more old crop corn than they anticipated having. So as that supply is larger, the carryout projection is higher, and everybody knows it. As people finish up with their spring field work, their attention is on what am I going to do with this old crop corn. I feel that a lot of calls asking just point blank, what am I going to do with this? How do I manage this? Because the price is awful and things of this nature. So everybody's caught in, in a similar position, and uh, I think because everybody realizes the position, there is probably going to be a willingness on the part of the farmer to move these bushels faster and not wanting to be the last one holding supplies in July or August. This threatens to weaken basis in the near term, and while we've had some you know, signs of hope from some ethanol bidders bidding up for corn, here this last week in improving their basis, um, I would describe the overall basis structure as being very fragile. You can go from having some strength in it this week when prices are depressed and the futures market's not going anywhere um, 
to becoming fragile as either producers begin to move supplies and of old crop, trying not to be the last one holding the bag, or let's say that something comes along and surprises the futures market and stages the rally. Um, that too would make the basis soften. So I don't. We can argue about when basis weakens, but it looks like basis is going to uh, be vulnerable weakness. And the only thing that I can think of that would alter that scenario would be a very, very sizable uh, China corn import program from the U.S., which can't be ruled out, but uh, that would, that's about the only thing I see that might create an offset to the basis weakness that looks very conceivable right now. And if you look at a basis map of the country, you know, you have certain spots that are clearly – you know, decent basis levels, not as good as they were, but relatively decent. But then you have a large area that basis levels are very um, poor in relationship to where they have been or very poor in relationship to where people would like them to be. And uh, I'm, I'm afraid that the basis outlook is not very good and it looks fragile. And um, um, I think you've got a window here of maybe a few weeks where maybe that basis levels will stay the same or maybe you could get a slight improvement. But any sign that the futures market staged a rally for whatever reason, I think basis then immediately tumbles. So if you're wanting to be optimistic and you're wanting to hold out on, on better basis and think there's a window where you might get a, a little bit better, um, just be very attentive to any type of a futures rally that begins to unfold because I think that would be very uh, detrimental to basis levels. Well, and, and on new crop too, we, you know, we're setting a record planting pace this year. Um, that sends a clear indication to the market too, that, you know, probably we'll have another large crop. Um, you know, there's a long ways to go yet. So this could go either way on basis for new crop, but um, on the new crop side, it really, um, paints the picture there too, doesn't it, Dwayne? To probably yeah, I've been, make uh, consideration. I agree with that. I've been kind of advocating uh, making some new crop basis sales. People are reluctant to do so, um, and I think they're comparing the current new crop bids with what they've saw that they could get last this last harvest during right. uh, harvest. And I'm not sure that's a realistic comparison. Um, I would also say that new crop basis levels are probably weakened by about a dime in corn in a lot of locations over the last few weeks. We are now at levels that um, would I would classify as maybe normal new crop basis levels or maybe slightly weaker than normal. Or, um, However, I think it's a legitimate concern to be worried about basis levels that could get a lot worse. And I think if, for an example, I would point to what uh, bean basis was like in 2018 when we had, you know, farther west you went, the worse the bid got to, to the point where you couldn't even get a cash bid um, for beans. Uh, the basis levels got so wide. It's not necessarily a prediction that we'll see that in corn, but it's certainly something that weighs on, on my sentiment towards, you know, pondering how poor basis could be, and I'm afraid that even though they've weakened, you know, maybe a dime in the last few weeks for new crop, and even though they're at levels that 
you might consider to be more of a normal or slightly weaker than normal new crop basis level, I think it's very possible it could get worse than this. So I'm mm -hmm. still concerned about new crop basis as well for the gut slot. Now, that's going to probably create some, you know, storage opportunities for uh, and, and hedges and eventually basis or spreads might be wide as well. Um, but for right now, I'd say that there's risk that, that by the time you get to new crop, uh, gut slot harvest on bushels that you have to move during that harvest period, you may very well be forced to move them at a wider basis than what they're currently offered. So I think it's, uh, it bears watching and it, it uh, seems reasonable to me to get some new crop basis levels locked in even even at the levels they are right now because I'm afraid they could get worse. Yeah. We're beating the drum here. This is about the third week <laughs> we've had this conversation. And again, like I said, we had, you know, uh, an echoing conversation with uh, Steve Johnson from Iowa State that was uh, fully engaged with where you're at, Dwayne. And again, just trying to bring good perspective and make sure that people are really watching that because there's a, there's a clear and present danger that um, basis could, could not be uh, real great going into the new new crop year what um i think we've we've probably beat that one enough for now uh let's <clears throat> let's jump into china um we were talking demand on the ethanol side let's talk you know demand uh china phase one what are you hearing there are we moving are we moving product are we not are we gonna what's what are you hearing what do you think well let's do a quick recap first um um, I've been a very strong believer that phase one um, was going to be um, satisfied by China. They were going to live up to their end. Um, I felt that for the reasons that I, f I feel their demand and their need for building supply stocks is much greater than what most people have been of opinion. So I think I've been under the opinion that, uh, that they wanted to make these purchases. Um, I've also been under the opinion that they desperately want their tariffs removed, and uh, this is definitely part of that getting that process done, and they know it. And so I, I felt that that would uh, definitely lead to phase one being fulfilled. However, the marketplace has taken a different view, and the marketplace is not at all anticipating that this, and almost has been a, uh, a doubter ever since the the uh, trade agreement was signed on the 15th of January. And as time has gone by, and yes, we've gotten some purchases of, of soybeans and some purchases of U.S. corn by China, they've all been small quantities and, and only added to the disappointment level. And, uh, in a, we, you know, we live in a society in a time frame where, you know, we're in, into instant gratification. And, and so far, there's nothing instant uh, about phase one in, in from our perspective in terms of seeing China make big, big, large purchases. That being said, um, you continue to have Chinese officials say that they're, they plan to fulfill phase one. This, you continue to have U.S. officials say they expect China to fulfill phase one. The most recent assessment of that came from the highest levels with Secretary Mnuchin, and uh, uh, Lighthouser meeting or having a phone conversation with the top negotiator that signed the agreement for China on Friday. And they both come out of there, both sides issued statements implying that they expect phase one to be honored. 
okay? And, and as recently as the last week or two, you've had, you know, Greg Dowd, who was the lead U.S. ag negotiator with Phase 1, he expects China to fulfill their agreement. You had Larry Kudlow, the uh, economic advisor to the president, on Thursday or Friday say that he expects China to fulfill Phase 1. So if Phase 1 is fulfilled, and we need to remember that this trade agreement was signed on January 15th, became effective February 15th, and I think the actual start of the tally actually is another date that's slightly later than that, that, you know, to fulfill that agreement means we're gotta, we go all the way into next spring, late winter next spring, okay? So um, we're sitting here thinking, man, they haven't bought anything. This means they're not going to buy anything. But the calendar and this 12-month time frame is a little bit more extended than we, than we might think. But we have to conclude that either all these top-level officials, both the U.S. and the China, they're all lying to us, and they, they, China has no intention of fulfilling this. We either have to believe that or we have to put some faith and trust in, in what's being told to us by the highest levels of which you can put Sonny Purdue in that category as well, saying that they expect phase one to be honored, that if that happens to be the case, then we got a tremendous amount of demand coming from China in front of us that the marketplace is not at all ready for and that is not in the USDA balance sheets. And uh, so these are two completely different pathways with two completely different results, and they can significantly alter what the demand or what the uh, carryout projection is. So this is a very big question um, and has very important ramifications for the future um, about whether or not China is going to fulfill phase one. Um, I still believe they will. I am definitely in the minority thinking that way. Um, so as we look forward about China's demand, this is, is going to be very important. It's going to have a big influence on our carryout projections. And that kind of goes back to what I said earlier, talking about the USDA report. I'm hoping that maybe the, the projections we get from USDA this week will be the worst case scenarios in terms of demand and carryout. And so um, I'm bracing for bearish price reactions from USDA's reports on Tuesday, but I'm hopeful that that's going to be our worst case look at demand and things will get better and this China trade deal is certainly going to be a part of that equation, you know, whether that ends up being good or bad, um, but I, I'm still hopeful that that is going to be uh, a brighter spot in our future than what we currently think. The soybeans are the, the big deal with the phase one primarily. How much hope do we have for corn in that realm? China's capacity for building reserves in corn is quite high, and I think that they're, uh, they were on a trajectory for several years of declining corn carryout um, before the trade war came along. And I think their, their consumption of corn has been probably understated in the global community for years. And so I would say that their demand or their potential to import corn and that demand is probably greater than what we think it is. And uh, so I would not underestimate that. And I would, uh, you've had 8 million tons kicked around as a figure uh, 
commonly as what their potential was. But I think it's important that you realize if they're going to import $36 billion of U.S. agricultural products and they, the benchmark was $24 billion, do the math and, and find out how difficult it is to add $12 billion onto their import tally. Uh, they have to buy quantities like we've not seen before, okay? And I think that that's the first thing that we need to recognize is it's very difficult to um, get these dollars without really, really large quantities. So I think their uh, potential import corn is, is very good, very good. That would be good. We could sure use it. Um, so let's kind of wrap things up. You know, we started out with the report uh you know, coming up Tuesday, anything else that I didn't ask you or any other comments you have as we wrap things up? I think that's a primary fundamental focus right now. I think uh, as we look forward into the weeks and months ahead and wonder what, what is over the horizon that might be of great influence to agricultural prices, uh, in no particular order, I would say, of course, it's a new growing season, so we always have weather to look at. And I touched on that, I think, last week. Uh, about the pattern that we've seen develop in, in the uh, southwestern plains and, and the in plains in general um, and the potential that, you know, we've been experiencing below normal precip. Um, and if you need proof of that, just look at your planning progress. I mean, have you ever planted anything in, in, in an entire operation as early as we finished this year? And the only way that's possible is lack of precip. I mean, that's just the that's the that's that's the reason that we've got advanced planning. You know, ask yourself how many events have been forecasted versus what you've gotten for precip totals. Um, you know, there's a pattern out here, and we don't know if that pattern will change or develop into anything. But there's a pattern there. There's a, a La Nina uh, potential for La Nina to impact U.S. Um, Midwest weather as well. So. Weather is something that's always important. After last year, we think that uh, the market won't care about weather, and I'm sure to some extent that's going to be true, but it is something that we need to keep on the radar. The other thing that we need to be looking at is the price of crude oil. When does crude oil get to a price level, um, and when does the excessive global glut of crude oil supply all of a sudden get consumed and then we look around and realize that everybody's production has been cut back rapidly, and do we create a hole in a period where uh, the global economies rev up again and uh, we end up having um, a much better price there than expected, and, of course, the ramifications to the ethanol industry and that industry fire back up on all cylinders quicker than what we think. Um, so that's certainly something to watch. I'm a firm believer that we got to keep a value, uh, an eye on the dollar index and what the what the potential is for inflation and a weaker dollar. That would have a huge impact, and it's important to realize that the dollar right now is 30% higher than it was in the 2008 financial crisis, and we're printing far more trillions of dollars than we did during that crisis. Um, what's the outcome of the the U.S. and global economy going to be in terms of recovering from coronavirus? That's a wild card that's in front of us. Um, right. So there are a lot of things that we don't know about, about how the future can look differently. And the most recent one we talked about, of course, is this phase one. And that could have a huge bearing on what kind of carryout levels we're actually dealing with. Yep, and as you as you pointed out in that uh, conversation there, uh, 
the weather is going to have a lot to do with this whole thing too as we move forward so um it always does it seems like between about now and the fourth of july there there could be some interesting things happen too yeah certainly and uh you know the one last thing that i would want to uh interject is is as we are discouraged about prices and understandably so um i think it's very important and sobering for people to take a step back view here and say and realize that current prices and the uh, are at the bottom side of price parameters for the last 15 years, okay? So if you want to be negative prices at current levels, you are making a very bold statement that the world is significantly different than it's been in the last 15 years. And when we look at the current landscape and we see coronavirus and we see crude oil, we see the ethanol price structure, it does feel like it's justified in, in being concerned about the lowest price levels we've had in these 15 years. And it does seem to paint a picture that we can understand why we could see the lowest prices and even go lower than th these levels. But then if you look at the horizon and you talk about, you know, other factors that might be ahead of us, I'm not sure it's a safe bet to assume that, prices have only one way to go here. But when you're talking about being at the lowest levels of the last 15 years, you're asking for a complete reset of the whole economic base of price, price levels if you want to be super negative at current le levels. That might be a dangerous place to be. And uh, again, there's a lot of things on the horizon that we don't know how these are going to turn out. And, um, you know, uh, just it's it's a little sobering to realize that uh, how bearish and one-sided trade sentiment is sitting here at basically the bottom side of parameters for the last 15 years. That is the type of setup that creates, you know, the big turnarounds and the surprise events and uh, catches everybody off guard. And, you know, we've all seen it happen before, but in real time it's always difficult to see it happen because we're so caught up in the depression of the moment, but things can change. Everybody's definitely on one side of the boat. So For sure. We'll, we'll have to, uh, that, that's what will uh, give us more to discuss as we move forward. I think, I think we had a good conversation. We'll wrap things up uh, for this one. Dwayne, thanks for all of your insight and conversation. Appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. You bet. And thanks, everybody for listening to the AgView Pitch, and we will catch you next time. Thanks. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the AgView Pitch. As always, you can reach out to us at cbaron at agviewsolutions.com or dwaynel at netends.net. We'll catch you next time on the AgView Pitch.